0: Welcome back to the Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Swing, and my goodness, do we have an interview for you today, maybe the most value per second of any podcast that I've personally heard. My really good friend, Terrell Daniel, and his wife, Kara, own and operate a Chick-fil-A right outside DC in Silver Spring, Maryland. Their mantra is to make people's lives better, make people's lives better, and they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk to prove it. About a month ago, my wife and I welcomed baby number three into the swing family and an edible arrangement shows up on our front porch from none other than Terrell and Kara. You better believe those chocolate covered strawberries made my family's life better. In all seriousness, Terrell is a remarkable leader with tons of experience in everything from the military to middle school education to retail strategy and ops. He's going to pull it all together to give us seven key ingredients to his secret sauce as a leader. I promise you will get something from this episode that will help you make people's lives better. Without further ado, Terrell Dana. Terrell, welcome to the podcast, man. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you on. I've been chasing you down for the past couple of months trying to get you on here. I know that you would not label yourself as extroverted per se, probably the opposite Even in light of that, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for inviting me. This is not my favorite thing to do, but I like to get out of my comfort zone. So, And I also enjoy speaking with you, so I am excited to be here, man.
0: Yes, I would consider you a friend now at this point, Terrell, from the relationship that we've been able to build. Man, I just love hopping on a call and talking life with you, so you'll have to keep me on track here if I start going down rabbit holes and talking about like, upcoming vacations or kids (laughs) or anything like that. But Terrell, what is the sauce that you can't live without?
1: It's pretty boring. It's Chick-fil-A sauce, but
0: a lot of people love it. It is a worldwide phenomenon. I talked to an operator recently who said he's got some buddies in the military that he sends over Chick-fil-A sauce to (laughs) other parts of the world, which is just crazy. This is going to be a really unique episode of the podcast because Terrell, you've got some really clear, what I would call key ingredients to your secret sauce as a leader. I want to have enough time to be able to cover as many of these key ingredients as we possibly can. So seven principles that we'll have for the audience today. And there's so much value in each one. Terrell, hop in, man. What's number one? Give it to us.
1: So the first one is know yourself and lead yourself. So I'm an army brat. And then I spent some time in the military, almost a decade. And that was an environment where we basically, was like, emotions, what? You stuff it, you drive on, you complete the mission, transition to Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A is a company that's built on emotions. And I had zero emotional intelligence. And I remember someone saying, hey, do, have you ever had any cooler moments? And I was like, cooler moments? What are you talking about? Like, you actually get in the cooler or the freezer when you're upset. And so now, after having been in the, the business five years, I totally understand what that means. And it's all around self-awareness. Do you have the self-awareness to know when you're in a position that you either need to step away and just gather yourself? So you know, know yourself and lead yourself. I think self-awareness and self-control. And then lastly, and this is kind of a buzzword today, but, but self-care, taking care of yourself.
0: That's so relevant. I believe, to the leader today. You talking about that makes me think about, I have young kids right now. There's always emotions flying all over the place. And if I'm not careful, I'll let my emotions get the best of me. I think the same thing can happen with team members, right? If we're in a leadership role, but we've got to be self-aware enough to know what we're feeling and have cooler moments. Like you talked about, like moments where we just need to step away, take a breath and not let our actions be dictated by the current state that we're in from an emotional perspective. This is really helpful to talk about. What are some of the ways that you seek to better know yourself to have higher levels of that self-awareness?
1: Coming off of our, um, our annual planning meeting, we actually had a self-care session. And one of the big topics was just sleep. Sleep is really important. So starting there, of course, exercising. Another strategy, man, that's really important that I've learned over time is managing my calendar and not letting my calendar manage me. You're like, why are you talking about calendar with self-awareness? Well, guess what? I might schedule four interviews back to back to back. I'm an introvert. By the end of those meetings, I am not showing up well to those candidates and those future team members. And so another strategy is just making sure that I own my calendar scheduling appropriately so I can recharge when I need to was at that annual planning meeting and actually got to a point where I felt I was feeling some kind of way and I had to step away for about an an hour to recharge and then get back at it. And you know, back in the day, like I said, coming from the military, I would have either squashed that or felt guilty about it. Now it's just like, it's just a part of who I am, understanding where I gain energy and where I don't and making sure when I get to a place where I feel depleted, that I recharge.
0: Picking your spots, is a phrase that I heard a lot growing up in, in sports. I mean, some of the self care stuff that you talked about is just so critically important, but I want to even zero in and lock in on what you talked about. The example that you gave with the interview processes that you would go through, like knowing, having the self-awareness to know that my energy is usually depleted when I'm people facing and engaging relationally, knowing that like, I need time to recharge the batteries to be able to do that really well is so important and even the way that that plays out on your calendar where you're so intentional about where you're scheduling those so that you know I'm not going to schedule four of those back to back because at the end of those you're not going to want to talk to me or deal with me because of the the state that I would be in i heard a, a thought leader recently talk about Lionel Messi who is a professional soccer player probably one of the best ever in the history of soccer And a lot of commentators, especially early on in his career, would identify him as being lazy. If you watched him around the pitch or the field, he would go like half speed a lot um, during certain moments. But where he turned it on is where he knew he was most effective, which was with the ball attacking and scoring because he picked his spots of when he was at 100% and when he dialed it back, it allowed him to be one of the most effective soccer players of all time. So like, I'm even seeing illustrations of that in the way that you schedule your time with people and, uh, and pouring out into others. Terrell, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that.
1: It's one thing to understand how you're feeling, but I think the most important part is like, how are people on the other side experiencing me, right? It was next last year, Ryan Leak actually presented and he talked a lot about like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? My operator team, DC North, will give them a little bit of a shout out. We actually took that cause we thought it was so powerful. And we now do an exercise where once, once a month we actually pick one person, we call it the hot seat and everybody provides their feedback through an anonymous survey. I don't do anonymous. I actually put my, my name on, on everything just cause I want people to know that. The takeaway from that is getting people that you trust around you and being vulnerable to a place where you're willing to um, sort of hear the feedback that they have for you and asking for it.
0: That's good. We all have blind spots. I would, I would agree with you as leaders. There's places in ways that people may experience that is self-aware as we think that we are, we may have, have no idea about. And so, So number one, I think Ryan Leake is incredible. I hope to have him on the podcast here in the near future. He was was my personal favorite speaker from Next last year. Like you talked about that question, Mm -hmm. what's it like to be on the other side of me is just so powerful. It's one thing to like hear an incredible leadership principle. It's another thing to put into practice. And I love how DC North has put it into practice and taken action around that to say, hey, let's hold each other accountable. Like let's ask each other this question and get on the hot seat if you will, a place that's probably not very comfortable to sit to hear some of that feedback from your peers, but is going to lead to so much growth. How important would you say that feedback is, Terrell, that you get in that moment and then how it impacts the way that you engage with your team?
1: There's a little bit of truth in every piece of feedback that you get, right? Like, I don't want to be the person that just dismisses feedback that I have. I will reflect on every piece of feedback that I get. I know I'm introverted and in, in large groups, I either come off as, as arrogant or closed off just because I'm introverted. I'm not the guy that's going to be working the room based on that. That was some of the feedback that, that came back. My operator team, they, they know me. So it's like, at this point, I've been able to establish a lot of one-on-one relationships, but that's my go-to. Like I will, however I can create space to have very, I'll call it one-on-one. I like, actually I'll say intimate conversations with people so they get to know me and my heart and not in this overwhelming environment
0: so once you've established high levels of self-awareness and what comes next
1: get your hands dirty like get your hands dirty and experience your your business your work true kathy man he built chick-fil-a on this principle of just local ownership and he was in it uh, a lot of folks that want to be pursue being an operator will ask me well how much you're in your business and it's like in my business as much as I need to, to to make it go the way I want it to go. But leading by example is so very important. And I learned it really at an early age in, in the military.
0: Another way that I would classify like leading by example, getting your hands dirty, servant leadership, right? Are you willing to do all the things that you expect your team to do? It's just going to hit differently if you're doing those things than if it's just like, hey, do as I say, not as I do. So, the lead by example piece is so big. Lead through your actions was another way that I've heard that. What are some of the things like for the operators that are out there listening that you would be like, hey, you probably haven't done this a while. You need to go and do this.
1: So two of my favorite things to do. So I'm a, I'm a freestander without a drive through, and we do a lot of curbside. And old Terrell would be like, why would we shut it down in the rain? And now... When it starts to rain pretty hard, I'll throw on a poncho and I'll run orders with the team. And I really look for those opportunities. When it's raining, I'm going to throw on a poncho and run orders. And everyone kind of looks at me like I'm crazy, like, no, you don't have to do it. And I'm like, no, 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 really, I want to do it. And inevitably, I experience something that I'm like, it's like, we need to figure out better wet weather gear for our team members if we're going to be doing this. And by the way, if it gets bad, we probably need to shut it off you experience what your team members are experiencing. For Chick-fil-A, we ask our team members to do a lot of things that other restaurants don't. And then you can also, you get some just relational equity with the with the team members because they're like, hey, he's asking me to do this, but he's also willing to do it.
0: The respect that that builds with your team, I'm sure is off the charts. I need some game footage of of Terrell <laughs> running through the, to the parking lot in a poncho. <laughs> the
1: last one. The last one was miserable, man. It was it was rough the last time I did it. I was like, man. But the other thing that I do that I really enjoy is we do a, a raffle for our Christmas party. Whoever pulls it, I work a full eight hour shift for them. The team in the past they've actually rigged it so that I end up breading, which is my least favorite position in the in the business. It's another scenario where I'm sitting there and doing the work, and typically two things happen. One, I'm just like, last time I did, I'm like, this is really hard. And I'm like, looking at the the clock, like, am am I going to get a break? (laughs) Or I'm like, who made the decision to do that? That makes no sense. And it's often a decision that I made. So
0: the empathy that it gives you from like, actually not just, you know, imagining what it's like to be in somebody's shoes, but actually like getting in their shoes and somebody that's on a different role on your team is I'd imagine a, a game changer. All right. So we got knowing yourself, leading yourself, and then leading by example, doing all the things that you would ask your leaders to do. What's number three? What's next?
1: Number three is know your team members and lead them differently. I'm going to true back to the man, the myth, the legend, Truett Cathy, who was, you would hear him say, we are in the people business, not the chicken business. And I talked about my military experience. There was, were things that I had to unlearn coming into this environment because Military is very much like cookie cutter leadership. You just lead everyone the same way. And I got into Chick-fil-A and it was very clear that the first leadership team that I built, I was just struggling with connecting with them. And I brought in a leadership coach and he used a behavioral assessment predictive index, which we still use today. And he helped me see that I had just brought in a team, great people, nothing the matter with the people, but they all kind of had the same capabilities. And those capabilities didn't actually align with the, cap- with the things that I need to get done in the business. And so naturally, there was this frustration. I ended up working that team, building a team that uh that had more diverse capabilities, but working with each of those leaders to make sure that I wasn't leading them the exact same way.
0: That's really good. Would you say, as you were hiring some of those leaders initially, were they very similar to you? Do you think you were falling into like the trap of like, hey, if somebody's going to be effective, they need to model this the way that I model or they're completely different?
1: I knew that my personality probably wasn't the personality that needed to be customer facing. So I wouldn't b went and got a lot of Chick-fil-A nice people, but I'd say I was actually completely different. He actually did this assessment and I was like way over here, which it created that like opposites effect, just created tension. So they were more like Chick-fil-A nice, social, I would actually describe them as.
0: Leading them differently is so important, but You can't lead them differently if you don't know who they are and you don't understand them as an individual. I'd love to even hear, Terrell, any specific examples of like, you thought you knew somebody, but then come to find out you really didn't know them. You found out something about them that caused you to, I don't know, shift that individual or set them up in a different position that allowed them to be successful.
1: So we do this assessment. Every team member does it. It's like one of the first steps that they have to do in order to place them. And we can, with a high probability, bring in team members that are going to be, that we, we can determine their personality traits that are aligned with the things that we need them to do as a team member. And when I say we can determine their personality traits, we know what a good team member looks like when they're coming through on this assessment. They are typically, believe it or not, they're not high on extroversion. They're super collaborative. They're steady. They have high patience. And then they're also high formality, like they're a rule follower or process follower. Those team members, as they come through our process and we see those patterns, we're like, this person's gonna be a great team member. Guess what? They're a great team member, but those patterns, believe it or not, it makes for a, a very specific type of leader. It makes for a leader that's like, if you put that leader into an environment where they're, where it's stable, that leader could do well. But if you take that very steady team member and make them a leader, and then you start asking them to change and exert influence in all of these spaces, they would struggle with that. And I actually saw that play out in the business. And so one of my leaders, who was steady and always there. He was doing a good job in his role, but just wasn't, we never felt like he was he was reaching his full potential. And we moved him into our talent role and he's just destroyed it. He's done an amazing job, destroyed it in a good way. He's done an amazing job, but it's because it's better aligns with his, his personality and his passions as well.
0: I think assessments are so important and there's so many good ones that are out there. You mentioned predictive index. There's a handful that I would recommend, but I do recommend that every leader is doing some type of assessment with the people that are on their team so that you can have that understanding to be able to make those strategic decisions and how they win and the way that they're set up to win. So this with number four
1: it's blame the process, not the person. Easy on the people, hard on the problem. I just think in the environment that we're in, it is so easy to go at a person. The first filter that I use is what did we, the leaders and the process and the systems, what did we do to create this issue? So blame the blame the process, not the person. And there's clearly some cases where name the thing that a person could do that's completely disregarding all the things. But if it's an outcome that it's like, will say, I'm having an issue in my business right now with, with food costs. Like my first lens is not to say like, oh, so-and-so is just using too much. It's like, hey, did we do everything that we could do to make sure that they knew exactly what the standard was?
0: The clarity on the process and how people are set up for success is so critically important. The team feels that too. Like when they feel constantly like this fear that if something goes wrong, The hammer is going to come down on them. They're not going to produce in the way that you want them to. But if they feel like, man, first I'm going to default to what could I do better as the leader of this business to put some processes in place or put some systems in place to help drive the efficiency that we need in this area, not like this single person. And the systems are going to have like a 10X return while just focusing on the individual is not going to really move the needle when it comes to big things like- food costs or speed of service or anything like that.
1: I spent time as a middle school math teacher and I quickly realized that like the kids they all wanted to be successful. Like there were there were no kids that came in and were like I really want to fail today. Like I want to screw up today. And I've taken that mentality into the restaurant. Like people aren't coming in there saying I really want to do miserably today. And so making sure that we support our team members, give them the tools that they need whether that's a, an actual tool or the skills to be successful is super important.
0: Yeah. If you hire the right people, you don't have anybody on your team that's just like I don't care or you know, I don't want to do well at my job. Everybody wants to succeed at whatever they're doing.
1: And if it's, they don't want to good... do well, we we got processes to make sure that they're they're not in the business.
0: That leads to the next principle. This is one of my favorite ones that's on the list. Get ready everybody. What is number
1: Not my idea. I don't want to get, I don't want us to get sued by Danny Meyer with with Shake Shack (laughs) CEO. It's called the salt shaker theory. It basically, he uses an example of a salt shaker that he puts in the center of the table and he goes through this exercise where an individual just keeps on moving it away from the center. And he says, especially he's referring to restaurants, like that's just the way it goes. People are going to constantly be moving the salt shaker from the, the center of the table or said differently people are going to constantly be testing the waters in terms of your, your standards and, and expectations, especially in a place like a Chick-fil-A that's crazy busy. And he goes on to say that it's not, I think a lot of times as leaders in a business, we get annoyed that we have to keep on telling team members, hey, tuck your shirt in, uh, hey, do this thing, make sure you, you know, make sure you don't forget that. But it's kind of just a part of, of how things work. He uses his strategy is constant gentle pressure constant gentle pressure. So consistently reminding people where the center of the, the table is and where the salt shaker should be. Gentle, be humane about it. You don't need to yell. You don't need to do mass punishment. Like It's just gentle. And then pressure, there has to be a consequence. You, you have to always follow through with the consequence. In our business now, most of the time when we go to part ways with a team member, they basically already know it's coming because we have had so many conversations where it's like, you come in, here's what the expectations are. You miss the expectation. Hey, we're going to sit you down and have that conversation. And once we get to the point where it's like, we've got to part ways, they're like, yep, you've talked to me like five times about this. So Danny Meyer's salt shaker theory, remind people of the expectations, leveraging uh, constant gentle pressure.
0: Yeah. The, the constant gentle pressure piece, I even really appreciate that you've got to have all three So it's critical that you have the consistency, the gentleness, and the pressure. If you take any of those single things out of the equation, then it all falls apart. And so an an example would be like if you're giving gentle pressure, but it's sporadic, then the expectations aren't going to be there. If it's just consistent and gentle, and there's no uh, there's no pressure there, then it's going to seem disingenuine and inauthentic and just fluffy. And if there's no gentleness and it's all pressure, then everybody thinks that they're a number and nobody feels cared for, or valued. So each of those three things is is so important. Terrell, you may you may remember this from the illustration that he uses. Sometimes somebody's moving like the salt shaker in the middle of the table, those, those clear expectations that you set for the business, the vision that you have for it. Sometimes people are just moving the salt shaker, like a couple of inches. And then other times people are like taking the salt shaker off the table entirely or like throwing it into the street outside of the restaurant. Which one of those scenarios is more difficult to handle in your mind?
1: the individual that takes it off the table and, and runs out the restaurant with it, that's actually easy because it's a clear violation of our vision and our, our values. It's the, it's the slight movement over time, right? It's the, I actually looked at a was looking at a report today that we had a, we have a team member that's been late like 10 times over the last two months. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Of course, team member not very happy about that, but like, Take it a level up, and I'm like, hey, what's, where's the shift leader? What's the shift leader doing? And of course, if you allow that to go on over time, that behavior becomes your new culture, where it's a, a culture that is not built on reliability. The latter, it's the incremental movement that is actually the hardest to, to deal with.
0: Those very small movements over time that can drastically change the location of, of the salt shaker. Definitely something to be aware of.
1: We, it's easy to talk about it here, but those instances are happening all over the business. There's so many opportunities for someone to slightly move that salt shaker. So those are the ones that it gets like, honestly, the part for my leaders that I feel a little that I'm always like, man, it's, I know it feels like it's herding cats, right? Like it can feel like you're babysitting at times, but it's like, honestly, when we signed up to work with Chick-fil-A, that's what we signed up for. We signed up to be leaders who have attention to detail to the smallest of details to make sure this thing, we stay best in class. There's yeah. one other thing I would make with it, Josh, and it's around, and I have to constantly remind myself of this, of like this idea of implicit expectations. There's some expectations that we think people know we hadn't necessarily been clear about, and that creates just a level of confusion. So leveraging constant, gentle pressure, I always step back and say like, were we really clear on the expectation? And there's a lot of times where we weren't and we have to go back and say, all right, let me be really clear. Here's what we expect.
0: That's where it starts. Terrell, it's like, if you don't know where the center of the table is to begin with, it's just shots in the dark. Clarifying those expectations is probably the most important thing that you could possibly do as a leader before you start applying that constant general pressure. Jocko Willink, extreme ownership would say, as a leader, it's not about what you say. It's about what you tolerate. You got to make sure you uphold those expectations once they're in place. On to number six.
1: Fail fast, fail fast. I learned this before Chick-fil-A. I worked at Capital One and it was just a super agile env- environment where you had some liberty and some right to, to take some some risk and some chances. And I want to do that in the business. Of course, um, there's some things that I have to answer for to Chick-fil-A, but I feel like I have the the space to do that. But I certainly want my team members to feel like, hey, we can take risks. Because I know like, if people aren't taking risks, you're just not going to grow. Fail fast is just a spirit of innovation. I had, I don't know, it was probably my first or second year as an operator, I had some leaders that were like, we want to give out the plush cows. And I'm thinking, that's great. Like, We'll give out some plush cows for Christmas, the Christmas cows. And they're kind of expensive, believe it or not. So you have to be sort of strategic about how you, you give these things out. And we're walking through and uh, walking through the restaurant. This is, I don't know, call it a few weeks later. Hey, so what's the deal? When are we giving the, the cows out? And somehow we had ran out of kids' toys, and those cows made it into the kids' meals. So we gave these things out in the span of like a couple of hours in the restaurant. And I remember, flashback to self awareness, feeling like blood pressure doing this number and walking out of the restaurant, regrouping and then coming back in. But if we didn't have a mentality of like fail fast, that interaction would have gone completely different. I don't want them to come back and be like, well, I don't want to try something new because I might get in trouble. So fail fast, give people space to learn and grow and make mistakes.
0: That's so good. Those are the most expensive kids meal toys that y'all probably <laughs> ever had in the restaurant.
1: <laughs> it was truly really like Christmas day for those those guests though.
0: Yeah, the kids probably thought they won the lottery with their giant plush cow and their in their kid's meal. Ryan Leak, who we mentioned earlier on the podcast, his book that he has written is called Chasing Failure. And he talks a lot about that failure mindset and the way that you think about failing. Terrell, I love that you've integrated a culture that is okay with failure because you know that If you're learning, then you're not truly failing. If you're making those mistakes and learning from them and and bettering yourself and the team as a result, then ultimately that that chalks up to a win. It's cool to see that that's played out, but I'm sure like easier said than done at times. That was like one example where failure happened and blood pressure went up, but I'm sure there's probably countless other times too, where it's like, oh, I said that I'm okay with failure, but it doesn't seem okay right now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's one where it's like, again, people don't wake up in the morning wanting to fail. Like everyone's trying their best and kind of assume positive intent. And again, I want to have the space. I think we talked about earlier, Josh, like I uh, we did a project in the in the business. Uh, the project will remain nameless, but we did a project in the business over the last year. And it just was, was, was just a failure. And I was the number one person that was like leading the way. It cost a lot of money. But I think because of this environment that we created, the team wasn't, my leaders weren't like, told you so. It was like just like, hey, this is what we do. We, we try new things and if they don't work, we learn from it and, and move on.
0: The mentality of going into it of like, we're going to try stuff. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. But we're going to find out very quickly if we're failing. The agility is maybe just as important as um, how you treat that failure.
1: If I have someone who starts to, innovate and get creative to solve things in the business, that to me translates to ownership. It's literally shared ownership. Because if they didn't care, they wouldn't be doing that. Because it's not like I'm going to people and saying, Hey, you need to improve this. This is people coming to me and saying, All right, let me figure out how to fix this. And I also am like, my context is the military. No one's getting shot at. Right? Like <laughs> this is just this is just chicken. Like we can learn from it and keep moving forward. So
0: the perspective that comes from your experience in the military is extremely valuable. It's like, we're talking about chicken here. Nobody's losing their life over, over mistakes that are happening. So I imagine to other, there's probably times where you as the leader probably know that it may, like there's a high chance that it leads to failure. Are you still letting, letting them figure that out for themselves? Like, are you still allowing them the space to do that? Even when you may you know, based on your experience, think, ah, oh, there's probably not a high chance, of, chance that this works out.
1: Our last value is is empowerment. And so where I can, I really try to stay clear because I can get into things. I mean, I'm the, the guy that basically is signing the paycheck. So if I get in and I'm like, hey, I want to do this, this, and this, it's like, okay, then maybe we'll do this, this, and this. A lot of times, man, I'll just be like, you come up with what you want, execute it, and let me know how it goes. If it's something that's just like, that I think is not that I'm concerned about. I'll ask some questions, but there's just so honestly, man, there's not a lot that I've I've come across. That's like life or death. Like, you know, it's like, it's kind of like, Hey, play. I want that restaurant for the team members that I have, which I have have leaders who want to be operators. I have young college kids. I want them to feel like this is my baby. And it's a playground in which I can try all different sorts of things. It may not work out, but I'm not going to get crushed for it. And so, yeah, if there's something that I'm like, there was actually, a, a, as you asked that question, Josh, there was a, something came up that I was like, I thought there could be some legal implication to, to the solution that we came up with. So I was just like, hey, let's talk through this. And I have enough trust and equity, I think, relational equity with this leader, that it wasn't like I was trying to like make the decision because I don't want to make the decision. It was more like, let's make sure that we, we are we protect the business.
0: I'm sure it's important, there's always one-off scenarios where it's probably important to step in, but so encouraging to hear, for the most part, it's empowerment. It's giving them the space to create it for themselves, take ownership and and execute. What's number seven, Terrell?
1: Be purpose-driven. Know your why. Simon Sinek would start with why. Within Chick-fil-A, corporate purpose, glorify God by being faithful stewards of all that's entrusted to us and have a positive influence on all who come in contact with us. Say that three times fast. Um, you go <laughs> to the awful. corporate headquarters, there, there is a story behind that corporate purpose. And you'll go into, I think there's over 2,500 Chick-fil-A's now. And operators will have their own unique mission and vision, but those mission and visions often will tie back to that corporate purpose. So that is our why for why we exist at Tech Road, Our vision is make people's lives better. And so we use that as a lens, a filter for every decision that we're we're making.
0: I love the the simplified vision down to make people's lives better, which leads back to the corporate purpose, which is to positively influence all those all that come into contact with with Chick Fil A. Very similar, just simplified and very easy to communicate with the team, which I think is important in and of itself. You want your vision to be extremely repeatable, like you want that phrase being thrown around as frequently as possible. Cause if not, then it can't really be that, that filter that you've set it up to be. Has there been any stories where that's come up in a meeting? Like there's been a discussion about something and then it's like, does this make someone's life better? And then it's like, if not, then we're not going to do it.
1: I won't say that that has come up, but I think it's more around like being really persistent about our mission, our vision, our values, and our behaviors, and it starts from when we start interviewing candidates. So, pretty quickly, we do a group interview, and I say pretty quickly, we introduce people to our our mission, vision, values, and and so we'll do a group interview, and we'll select the folks that we think are could be a good fit, and we send a one pager that has it has our story, and it has our values, and our you know our, our our vision, and then we start to ask them about our vision and our values. People that come through that are like, hey, I saw your values and stewardship. I didn't know what it meant, but like I, I went and looked it up and it, it really resonates. I know, oh, by the way, they actually have the paper in front of them when they're going through the, the interview process and you're like, okay, this person, they naturally align with our values. Mm-hmm. So we have it embedded into our interview process. We have it be- embedded into our recognition and write-up process. So anytime someone gets recognized, it gets tied back to one of our values and I think probably last and then most important, and this is what this is gets at the question that you were asking is when we're making decisions, we have to make sure that we honor our mission vision values, and behaviors and so while it may not be like, does it make their life better at this point, we're at a place where it's like that's just kind of what we do. It is like, hey, someone did this we." care for this person and we have an emotional connection with this person. But at the end of the day, they just violated three of our values. How are we going to handle that? So we don't want to be the organization. I think it's very easy. It's almost like I look at it as like the strategic plan that the company does and takes it, and puts it on the, you know, puts it on the shelf and it just sits there. Like I'm holding this up. I had to, I had to reach into my wallet and get it, but I'm holding this up and you can see it's a little worn, but every team member carries this and it's got It's got our our mission, our vision, our values, and our behaviors, and we just true back to it. We do a value of the week where we're just constantly talking to the team members about it.
0: So many times, I think leaders have the best intentions and they create that vision and those values, but then it stops there. There's nothing to help carry it out. There's no ongoing communication around it. And then it just becomes words on a website, words on a wall somewhere that, Very few people actually know, but there's a lot of value in putting some processes in place to make sure that they're regularly communicated about. So a couple of things that you mentioned there is like even a simple card that you could carry around with you and have in your pocket at all times to be able to reference makes a big difference. Or as you're giving feedback or recognition, doing it from the lens of those values is very different than just giving generic feedback or recognition in those moments man i just get really fired up to hear how that vision is just has trickled down and infiltrated all the conversations that are happening amongst the team i want to go back even to and highlight what you're doing in the interview process terrell because i think there's a lot that people could learn from this you're setting them up for success essentially by giving them a core clarity document that has all of these things on it that your business stands for. And you're giving them the opportunity to drive conversation around that. I imagine you can tell pretty quickly in that interview where that that, that's following the presentation of, of the vision, the mission, the values, how bought into it are they like, is this something that they also stand for? Are they thinking about this at a deep level or, could they care less about it? I'm sure that comes out pretty quickly in conversations during that interview. Would you say that?
1: Sure. And I think the key thing when we talk about the salt shaker theory, right, we want to be super explicit with our expectations. And this is as much for communicating our values and our, we call them our non-negotiables to the candidate is as much for them as it is for us. Cause we just want to know like, Hey, guess what? We have non-negotiables. Our non-negotiables, reliability. Like you have to be punctual and in uniform. Our other non-negotiable, I treat everyone with dignity, honor, and respect. And then I will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. Those are that straight from college for me. But those things, when people come in, they have this, they have our values and our behaviors. They have the non-negotiables. And we're just like, hey, look, we want to be really clear. There's some things that you can do that we will not be able to get along with. Just so you know, and we'll have people that opt out when they hear those things like, hey, you want me to be on on time and in the right uniform? I don't know if I can do that. Being really clear on the expectations up front, it gives me peace of mind. Like I can put my head on my pillow because I'm like, hey, every step of the way, we told you exactly what the expectation was. It's crystal clear. I feel like a lot of times people think culture is like this thing that it's hard to touch. We have essentially created our culture on this little card.
0: You kind of hold yourself accountable to that too, Terrell, by something that I know that you do as part of the interview process is you give candidates access to your, to your team. So like they have the ability to go ask questions and make sure that your actions align with what you're communicating in that interview process and how you live out, personally live out of those, those values and those behaviors and that vision. At what point in the process do they get to ask your team questions about what that's like?
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. So it's two paths, I'd say there's a, um, we have for our team members, we do a focused interview. And that's basically, that's the point where after we've done the group interview, we bring them in and we feel pretty good that they align with our values. We'll give them access to our, to our team members to just ask them questions about what it's like to, to work in our business. The other path is for our leaders. One of the things that's really important to me, I just don't like, I don't like surprises. I don't want people to feel surprised. like it at that leader level when they come in that it's a different. It's something different than what we the expectation that we set. And so I, after I've had we've had multiple conversations, I give access to the candidate that's going to be a leader to my my leaders. It's typically an hour long or however long um the conversation goes where that individual can talk to my leaders. I am not in the room. I want them to be able to be completely honest about the pressure and the demands of the work, but also like what it's like to work with me. I like a lot of information and I like transparency and giving people access where they can talk to the folks that are actually doing the work, I think makes the most sense.
0: This has been so helpful, so insightful, so valuable to get to unpack these seven ingredients to your leadership. Terrell and what you try to focus on and how you add value to the team, if nobody hears anything else from the podcast, the simple vision that you laid out of make people's lives better, like sometimes we just overcomplicate it. And if we could just live our lives in that way, we're going to leave a legacy behind us and be remembered for something that's way bigger than ourselves. So, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing with everybody. Even though you're introverted, man, thanks for pushing the comfort zone and getting on here with me.
1: One, it's my pleasure to join you. I appreciate the invite, but also thank you to to you because these seven leadership principles. This was born out of this ask of you for me to be on the on the podcast. So I love a framework. You gave me the opportunity to create a framework of of how I lead in the business. So I appreciate you as well.
0: My pleasure. Right back at you, Terrell. And uh, man, we'll talk soon. Okay.
1: Sounds good. Thanks,
0: John. Make people's lives better. If you don't apply anything else from the episode today, just do that. I hope you got half as much value from the conversation as I did. I'm going to run through the principles one last time in case you missed any in your notes. Number one, know yourself, lead yourself, gain self-awareness, invite feedback, then apply self-care. Number two, Lead by example, don't ask anybody to do something you aren't willing to do yourself. Number three, know your team, lead them differently. There is not a one size fits all leadership strategy. Don't lead people that way. Number four, blame the process, not the person. Go easy on the people, not on the problem. Number five, constant gentle pressure. It's our job as the leader to keep putting that salt shaker back in the middle of the table. Number six, Fail fast. Get comfortable with making mistakes. If you're not messing up, you're probably not trying hard enough. Number seven, be purpose-driven. Relentlessly tie everything back to the why. I'll include all seven of these principles in the episode description. Terrell can't say thank you enough for giving us all the ingredients to your secret sauce. I can't wait to see a lot of you in San Diego later this week for Chick-fil-A Next 2023. Until next time, Stay saucy.